Welcome to another episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and today we're going to talk about a very esoteric topic, one that you're unlikely to ever see, but I think is important nonetheless, acute otitis media. All right, so clearly I'm kidding. Everybody sees otitis media. Ears hurt all the time. It's a diagnosis that you can either give a lot of thought to or not much thought at all. But I urge you all to take a listen because I want you to increase the precision of your exam and the efficacy of your treatment. So let's start with some definitions. So a middle ear effusion, this refers to fluid in, well, the middle ear cavity. And you can have fluid in both an infected and not infected ear. So acute otitis media is an effusion that's infected. Great. Otitis media with effusion is fluid in the middle ear that isn't infected. It's also called serous, secretory, or non-suppurative otitis. Middle ear effusion precedes the development of acute otitis media and often is a sequelae as well. Now I'm going to give you a disclaimer here. It took me six years to get good at looking at ears. Accurate diagnosis of acute otitis media ensures appropriate treatment for children with ear infections, as well as avoiding antibiotic overuse. As simple as it sounds, otitis media can be difficult to diagnose. Kids don't cooperate. They've got cerumen. And then a lot of acute otitis media symptoms overlap with URIs. In terms of getting a good exam, the key is positioning. Once you have a child that can sit unsupported, place them on the parent's lap with their back to the parent's chest. So mom or dad is acting like a seat. Place both of the child's arms at their side and have the parent restrained by holding one arm across their child's torso and arms and placing their other arm or hand on the child's forehead. That way, the head can be turned side to side, allowing you a look at the ears, and this is also a great way to get a good look at the back of the throat. If you see earwax, well, it's in the ear and it's supposed to be there, but if it's obscuring your view of the tympanic membrane, don't ignore it, don't pretend like it's not there, make an effort to learn how to clean it. This also took me several years to do well, and it needs to be done under direct visualization. If you have soft wax, you can use a curette or a calgi swab, which is a tiny little Q-tip-like swab. If it's very hard wax, you could elect to soften it with Debrox or Colace beforehand and then irrigate or use a curette to scoop it out. On exam, a normal tympanic membrane, as you know, is gray and pearlescent, translucent with some landmarks. Even in patients without ear pain, you should look at the ears so you get used to seeing what a normal eardrum looks like. The key exam feature in acute otitis media is bulging of the tympanic membrane. This is the main feature on otoscopy that helps you discriminate acute otitis media from a middle ear effusion. In a paper from Shake back in 2012, 92% of children with AOM had a bulging tympanic membrane compared with 0% of children with just a middle ear effusion. Opacification and or an air fluid level was the main finding that they used to discriminate effusion from not. They constructed an algorithm that used both bulging and opacification 
of the tympanic membrane, and they were able to correctly classify 99% of ears, so either as acutotitis media or just a middle ear effusion. Rothman et al. noted in a systematic review that was published back when I was in medical school that a bulging tympanic membrane has a positive likelihood ratio of 51 for the diagnosis of acute otitis media. A retracted eardrum is not characteristic of acute otitis media. A paper from Karma back in 1993, when I was in high school, elaborated on different findings seen in acute otitis media. An important quote from that paper was that the triad of bulging tympanic membrane, impaired mobility, which I'll get to in a minute, and redness or cloudiness of the tympanic membrane predicted acute otitis media in up to 99% of cases. The color of the fluid and the tympanic membrane can be important as well. An effusion that's not infected is sometimes faintly amber, gray, or bluish, whereas acute otitis media has white or pale yellow pus. A red or hemorrhagic-appearing tympanic membrane could indicate acute inflammation, but a red TM is also seen by vasodilation that's related to fever or pain or just crying. So a red eardrum is not necessarily an infected eardrum, especially if it's not bulging without opaque fluid behind it. And yeah, now let's talk about mobility. I realize that pneumatic otoscopy may be a lost art. I'm going to fully admit that there are not bulbs on every otoscope in the hospital in which I work. They were actually being lost and or stolen. Non-mobile eardrum on pneumatic otoscopy doesn't necessarily indicate infection or not, but it is pretty sensitive for the presence of an effusion. And then there's the perforated tympanic membrane. So if purulent drainage is coming out of the ear canal and there's a rupture of the TM, well, that's acute otitis media as well. So in summary, what is acute otitis media? Well, the clinical diagnosis requires a bulging tympanic membrane, along with signs of middle ear effusion and signs of acute inflammation. The fluid should look white or pale yellowish, like pus, and importantly, a red tympanic membrane alone is not acute otitis media. Explaining these exam findings clearly to parents pays dividends. So if I have a child with unilateral ear pain, one ear is infected and the other isn't, and they're cooperative, I actually show the parent both eardrums. If a child has had a recent diagnosis of ear infection, I ask the parents specifically what their provider saw on examination. And if they said, oh, they thought it was a little bit red and he had a cold, so I started antibiotics, that actually probably wasn't acute otitis media. It goes without saying that AOM is a clinical diagnosis, and you just got to look at tons and tons of ears to get good at it. All right, let's move on and discuss treatment in detail. I cannot reiterate this enough. Accurate diagnosis of otitis media ensures that you will give antibiotics when you need to and avoid them when you don't. Ultimately, when you make the right diagnosis and you start antibiotics, you can expect clinical signs to improve in about 24 to 72 hours. All comers with ear pain generally get better pretty quick as well. So even in a child with otalgia, but you don't diagnose otitis media, 
you know that 50% of them will get better within three days and about 90% within seven to eight days. That's according to a paper by Thompson from back in 2013. Even after you treat the kid for otitis media and they feel better, that effusion can persist. So at two weeks, 70% still have some fluid. At a month, 40%. And at two months, maybe even 20% still had an effusion. As far out as three months, 10% of kids may have some fluid behind the eardrum. It's not infected, but the fluid's residual. For symptomatic treatment, because let's face it, most kids coming to the emergency department with concern for ear infections present with ear pain, you want to use acetaminophen or ibuprofen. Topical anesthetic drops, if they're available, are an alternative for the non-perforated tympanic membrane. Uh, these are drops like benzocaine, um, aralgan was a trade name. Um, you shouldn't really use them in kids less than two due to the risk of methemoglobinemia. Decongestants and antihistamines are not recommended, and there's not really adequate clinical evidence to suggest herbal drops, olive oil installation in the eardrum, um, or other over-the-counter medicines. And you may have also heard of the antibiotics versus observation question. Well, in general, it really depends on the age and severity of treatment. So before we even get into which antibiotic to pick, let's talk about who to treat in the first place. So if you diagnose acute otitis media in someone under six months of age, you should treat it. Depending on the age of the child, this may entail additional workup for invasive or serious bacterial infections. A child who is six months to two years of age, normal kid, vaccinated, who has bilateral or unilateral ear infection, should probably treat. Now, there is an AAP otitis media guideline from 2013 that says that observation is okay for unilateral AOM with mild symptoms in this six-month to two-year range, but the rate of treatment failure in this group seems to be high enough, um, especially when you're making a diagnosis in the pediatric emergency department, that you really probably should treat a kid between six months and two years if you diagnose acute otitis media. If they're greater than two years old, the kid looks ill, they've had pain for greater than two days, they've had a fever greater than 39 Celsius during the past 48 hours, they've got bilateral ear infections, they have uncertain follow-up, maybe they're in from out of town, you should definitely treat them. Now, if the kid is older than two and they look well, observation may be appropriate off of antibiotics if the caregivers know the benefits of doing it. So unilateral otitis media could rapidly progress to bilateral disease during maybe the first 12 to 24 hours of illness. So adequate follow-up needs to make sure that the kid isn't getting worse, that symptoms are getting better on their own just with conservative therapies. And this includes a parent-initiated visit or at the very least a phone contact or with their physician if symptoms don't change or get better within 48 to 72 hours. You could also give a SNAP or safety net antibiotic prescription that the parents could fill if symptoms don't get better within 48 to 72 hours. It's really important to convey the importance of not rushing out of the ED and just filling the script. Use it if the kid doesn't get better, but don't if they're improving. And you don't need to be a cowboy here. Otitis media stinks for the kid. It hurts and they can feel terrible. And antibiotics, if you make the right diagnosis, are beneficial. So there's a meta-analysis by Venecamp from 2015, and antibiotics do a lot of good things. More patients that are treated with antibiotics 
have pain reduction by that point versus not. So it's 15.9% by 11.6% with a relative risk reduction of 0.7. Antibiotics can reduce the risk of eardrum perforation. They can reduce the risk of contralateral episodes of acute otitis media, you know, therefore making it bilateral otitis media. But they did not affect the rate of late recurrence, you know, so several weeks later. And they did increase adverse events, so vomiting, diarrhea, and rash. And this is not a podcast about penicillin allergy. Serious complications like mastoiditis or meningitis were too rare in both treatment and placebo groups in the multiple studies that they analyzed to really draw a conclusion there. Overall, antibiotics benefited kids that are under two with bilateral ear infections or otorrhea the most. Now, it's important to note that the guidelines in different countries may be less or more stringent on their antibiotic recommendations. The Netherlands, for instance, doesn't really recommend um, antibiotics and espouses for delayed treatment in children older than six months, so your mileage may vary. All right, so yeah, which drug do you go with? The answer is simple. If they're not really allergic to it, you go with amoxicillin as first line. It's effective, it's cheap, it's palatable, and it's safe. High-dose amox, or 90 milligrams per kilogram per day, divided twice daily, overcomes any pneumococcal resistance that might be out there for your first-time otitis diagnosis. Once or twice daily dosing is just as good as three times a day dosing, but really when you look at the pharmacodynamics, you should be shooting for two times a day dosing. You definitely want to do 10 days for kids under two and at least seven days for kids that are older than two. A close second in first-line treatment or a good choice if you had a child who was recently on amox within the last 30 days is amoxicillin clavulanate or augmentin. Uh, the dosing length is similar, less than two years, 10 days, greater than two, seven, or 10 days. Dosing is based on the amoxicillin component. If the child does have a mild or remote allergy to a penicillin, you know, one without anaphylaxis, then your choices come down to ceftonir, also known as Omnicef, and that's 14 mg per kg per day um, in once or twice daily dosing for 10 days. You can do cefpidoxime, which is 10 mg per kg per day in two doses for 10 days. You can use uh, cefiroxime suspension, which I've heard tastes tremendous. That's 30 milligrams per kilogram per day in two doses for 10 days, um, or even intramuscular ceftriaxone, which I'm telling you, all kids love. That's a 50 milligram per kilogram dose. Give it once. If the kid gets better within 24 to 48 hours, you don't need additional doses, but you may need a second or third injection depending on their clinical course. So this entails follow-up visits, ideally with their primary care doctor, if the initial injection was given in the emergency department. You should really reserve that ceftriaxone for children who cannot tolerate um, oral agents. And let's be honest, tolerating is not the same as spitting it out when you try to give it to them. Child has had severe anaphylaxis to a penicillin, then you may want to consider azithromycin. The dose for that is 10 milligrams per kilogram once on day one, then five milligrams per kilogram once per day for days two through five. You could also do clarithromycin. Bactrim and Clinda are generally not recommended due to high resistance to 
resistant pneumococcal organisms, though you may want to check your local resistance patterns. They are definitely not first-line choices and are certainly far down the road and only worth considering in children with recurrent otitis and or anaphylaxis in the past to penicillins. If you've got otitis media with TM perforation, oral is better than drops. 10 days, regardless of the child's age, should also be part of your treatment plan if the kid has otorrhea. One situation where you could use eardrops, like ciprofloxacin, is if you have a child with PE tubes or chronic suppurative otitis media with perforation. Treatment failure is defined as lack of improvement by 48 to 72 hours. If they fail amoxicillin, then go with amoxicillin clavulanate. If you started with amoxicillin clavulanate and they fail, then you're going to go with ceftonir, cefpidoxime, or cefiroxime. Levofloxacin is only for refractory acute otitis media. As I mentioned before, Bactrim and Clinda aren't recommended for otitis that fails amox or amox clavulanate because of high levels of pneumococcal resistance. Though this is mainly a podcast on acute otitis media, I did want to briefly touch on recurrent before I get out of here. So recurrent otitis media is in a child that develops signs and symptoms of AOM soon after treatment. So generally, this is within two weeks. You have to differentiate this from a persistent effusion or just a cold after the initial diagnosis of otitis media. Again, that eardrum needs to be bulging. So if it recurs within 15 days and the child's still sick, you probably want to consider this as a similar and likely resistant pathogen. So you'd consider ceftriaxone IM twice spaced by 36 hours or IM once a day for three days or even levofloxacin. If they have what you think is a recurrent episode, but it's outside of 15 days, it's probably a different pathogen. And if you've done amox first, then go with amoxicillin clavulanate. Ear tubes, which many, many children have and are one of the most common procedures performed by otolaryngologists, require at least three episodes of acute otitis media within six months or greater than or equal to four episodes within 12 months. So I know that that was a lot on a seemingly simple topic, but I promise you will see and diagnose acute otitis media. Some take-home points. Number one, get good at the ear exam. It takes a long time and a lot of practice, and it starts with good positioning and repeated examinations of both normal and infected eardrums. If you're unsure, ask a supervisor or a more experienced colleague to help. Accurate diagnosis of acute otitis media starts with a bulging tympanic membrane. To further increase your diagnostic accuracy, the fluid behind that bulging tympanic membrane should be white or pale yellow and look like pus. An eardrum that is red alone is not an infected eardrum. Making the correct diagnosis lets you use antibiotics judiciously. And the best first-line choice for most children is good old amoxicillin. All right, so that's it for this episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'd welcome your feedback. You can leave comments on the blog or review on iTunes. I certainly appreciate the feedback. Follow me on Twitter at PEMTweets and check out PEMblog.com for more great educational content. Take care and see you next time.